Now today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics today. Paul is going to teach us about grace. We're going to not only learn about grace saving us, we're going to learn about grace sustaining us. I love grace. Always have. I love grace because I need grace. I need grace to get saved. You need a grace to get saved. But I need a grace. I need grace on a daily basis. Now what's grace? Grace is God's undeserved merit and favor. Greek word, karas. It means that when you put faith in Jesus Christ, you're not under judgment anymore. You're under his favor and his merit and his grace. Amazing grace. It is amazing. I heard one person say one time, hey, if it ain't amazing, it ain't grace. Because God's grace towards us is amazing. I love grace. I love grace because every day I walk with God, I experience his grace, his favor, his blessing. Undeservedly so. You know, and the founder of Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, loved grace too. He even wrote a book, Whatever Happened to Grace? And he, he really laid the foundation for us as Calvary Chapels that our emphasis should be not only the teaching of God's word, which it is, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, but also he laid a foundation that our distinctive as a movement too is going to be Grace. We're going to not only experience grace through our salvation through Jesus Christ, we're going to be people of grace. He had a saying that he taught us as pastors well. He said, guys, if you're going to err, err on the side of grace. If you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake on the side of grace. I love grace too because our Savior was full of grace. That's what we're told. John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And he was full of grace and, what, truth. That's who Jesus is, grace. And and Jesus Christ, all throughout his ministry, was a man of grace. A man of grace. Gracious towards everybody, even up to the death on the cross, when the very people that were killing him, he prayed for them and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Grace. Love grace. We're going to study about grace this morning. We're going to see some benefits of grace. And again, we're saved by grace, for by grace you're saved through faith that not of yourself is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. We know from the book of Titus too, it says, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of, of deeds <clears throat> which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his what? Grace. We have been made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, that's the crux of our salvation. We're not saved on the basis of our righteous deeds. We're saved on the basis of grace and what Jesus Christ did on that cross to pay for our sin. But here's the good news. It doesn't stop at salvation. Grace benefits us every day of the week as we walk with God. Grace sustains us. And we're going to look at four benefits of grace this morning from the Apostle Paul's pen and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so this section of Scripture will tell us not only that we're saved by grace, but it'll tell us some of the benefits of grace that we have on a daily basis. So are we ready to study the church? The key verse here is right in the middle. It says in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. That's the, the cornerstone verse of this section of Scripture, the abundant grace of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to the top where we left off last week. Verse 12. It says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Here's the first thing Paul's saying here, is he's reflecting back on his salvation experience, 
Remember, he was, a, he was a Christian killer. He was a persecutor of the church. We'll see that in the next couple of verses. And as he was stomping his way to Damascus to imprison more Christians, the Bible says he was stomping his way with murderous threats. He was full of anger, wanting to stamp out Christianity. Why? Because he thought Christianity was a cult. He thought Christianity was infringing upon his Judaism and his law. And so he was trying to stamp it out. And as he was on his way to the road to Damascus, he was hit off his high horse with a light brighter than the noonday sun and a voice from heaven that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, who are you, Lord? The voice from heaven said, I'm Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. And at that point, not only did Jesus forgive him, show grace towards him, but he enlisted him in service. And it says in the book of Acts that at that point, Paul was revealed at that point all the things he was going to do for the, in the faithful service of Jesus Christ now and how he's even going to speak the gospel to the Gentiles and the kings and the magistrates and to the ends of the earth. And Paul took on that task and that calling. So here's the first thing that grace did for Paul. It put him into faithful service. After it saved him, it called him into faithful service. And then it says in the verse we just read, it strengthened him. That's what grace does. Grace, after it saves us, then it calls us to serve Jesus Christ and to be strengthened by that grace. And Paul needed strength. If you look at the book of Acts, boy, he went through it, man. Let me read some of the things Paul went through as he faithfully served Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 11, verse 23, it says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. In other words, he got beat up serving uh, on the mission field so many times he lost count. Often in danger, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, do you get the point? Dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and, cl- and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Do you see what Paul went through? Amazing. And what sustained him? What strengthened him? Jesus Christ and his grace on a daily basis poured into, into Paul's life. And that's why he could say, uh, at 2 Timothy 4, verse 16 to 18, at the end of his ministry, he could say this, At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and what? There it is. Strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deal deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's the first thing. The first thing that God's grace does after salvation is it calls us into faithful service and then strengthens us. And what's our key verse around here for U-turn? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And what grace does on a daily basis is it strengthens us. Strengthens us so that in our weakness, God's power might be made manifest. And that's the wonderful thing about the presence of Jesus in every one of our lives, is it strengthens us by, in his grace and his presence on a daily basis, strengthens us for the things God calls us to do. 
And I experience that every time I come up here to teach. I come up, come up here to teach, and I, I say I arrow prayer. As soon as I'm walking up, I say oftentimes, Lord, please, let me get out of the way, and by your strength, speak through me your word, God. Because I got nothing to say, Lord, but you got everything to say. And I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit every time I come, come up to teach, because I need that strength. And you need that strength, too. If you're going to be the witnesses God's called you to be out in a world that's dark and filthy and cursed, you need the power of the Holy Spirit and the strength of Jesus Christ to be the witnesses, and that's only given to you by God's grace. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And that power comes through God's grace working in us and through us. Wonderful. Grace, 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 grace gives us the power we need. Um, Let's go on now. Verse 13, even though I was formerly, here's Paul giving his testimony now, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul's talking about his past, before Christ, his B.C. And Paul says, in my B.C. days, I was a blasphemer. What does it mean he was a blasphemer? He was, he was blaspheming Christ. And blasphemy is cursing God. And he was cursing Jesus Christ because he didn't know Jesus Christ was God. And he was, he was cursing the Messiah that was sent for him. And he looked, re- recalls that and realizes, I was cursing the God who was sent to be my Messiah. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. Notice uh, persecutor. It's interesting because if you read the book of Acts, it says that Paul persecuted the, ch- the church, the pla- place that he caused other believers to blaspheme Christ also. Do you know that? Probably put a sword to other believers, Christians' throats, and say, blaspheme your Savior. And he caused other believers, before he came to Christ, to blaspheme the name of Christ. And also, he was a violent aggressor. That was literally translated in the Greek there, violent aggressor, is someone who would hunt other people down. And that's exactly what he was doing on the road to Damascus. He was hunting down Christians to persecute, imprison, and kill a violent aggressor. And then it says, also, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And here it is. Now we go from B.C. to encounter with Jesus Christ. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with faith and love, which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement. Now, we're going to see five times in First and Second Timothy, Paul say, it's a trustworthy statement. It's a trustworthy statement. It's a trustworthy Five times. And most scholars believe what was, what's going on here is these were creedal statements in the New Testament church. These, these are statements where they would actually recite them probably during church services. This is what we believe. And what's the trustworthy statement? What do they believe? Well, it's deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am for, foremost of all. What's the trustworthy statement? Jesus saves and who does he say? Sinners. You know what the name Jesus means? Jehovah is salvation. Remember when John the Baptist uh, saw Jesus coming and beginning his public ministry? What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And this is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ, his mission was to come to save sinners like me, sinners like you. That's what Jesus' whole ministry was about. 
And that's why it even says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Now question, if that was Jesus' mission, what's our mission? Same thing. To bring as many people to the cross and to Jesus Christ so they could be saved too. And way too often the church of Jesus Christ isn't fulfilling that mission because instead of becoming a rescue center, we become a holy huddle. We become introverted rather than being out there, being the light of the world that Jesus said we're supposed to be. He said, shine your light in such a way that others may see your good works and they too may glorify your Father in heaven. It's a trustworthy statement. Jesus' mission is to save sinners. By his grace. Verse 16, yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying this, that, okay, I met Christ as a violent aggressor, a persecutor, a killer of Christians, and then I experienced his saving work in my life because it's a trustworthy statement. He came to save sinners like me and like you. But then he says, and one of the reasons why he saved me is so that my life might be an example, a perfect example of God's patience, patience towards sinners. It's interesting, Paul says, I was the foremost of sinners. If you have a King James Version, you probably read it this way. I am the chief, I am, right now, I am the chief of all sinners. And here's the second thing that grace does. Grace not only strengthens us for whatever God's called us to do, Grace radically changes our lives. It does. Paul went from this camp over here of killing Christians, persecuting Christians, making Christians blaspheme, and then he met Christ, and he went to just radically converted. And now he's the greatest missionary probably the world's ever seen. He's a writer of a third of the New Testament. He's the one that went for three missionary journeys to bring the gospel and start churches in the whole Roman Empire and to change the world for Jesus Christ. Paul said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Amen? That's the second thing that grace does. It radically changes our lives. I was reading this week about a guy by the name of John Newton. Many of you know who John Newton is, right? He was a slave trader in the 1700s. He's a wicked, blasphemous man, sailor kind of guy, just wicked language, drunk, all kinds of bad stuff in his life. He was, he, was, he was a part of the wicked business of slave trading, going to Africa and bringing slaves back to England. And as he was uh, doing his trade, one day he uh, fell off the ship. And history tells us he actually was drowning in his sin and headed for hell. And they harpooned him. They put a, a harpoon and they harpooned him and they pulled him out like a whale out of the ocean. And they brought him back on the ship as he was gasping for air. And he went back to England after that and found a church and got saved. And he went from this blasphemous slave trader to a man that was converted by the grace of Jesus Christ. And he went from a slave trader to what history tells us was an abolitionist. And what that means is he went from trading slaves and making money doing that to stamping slavery out in the nation of England. And he, he discipled a guy by the name of William Wilberforce, who was, became a part of the Parliament of England. And John Newton mentored him, and with John Newton and William Wilberforce in their forces, they, they, they abolished slavery, slavery in the nation of England. Amazing. And then he went on to write a song we're going to sing after this message. 
amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And I was reading about John Newton this week, and at 82 years old, he was on his deathbed, lost most of his memory as he was dying. He said, I don't remember much. I've lost most of my memory, but there's two things I remember. The two things I remember, he said on his deathbed, is this. How great of a sinner I am and how great of a Savior I have. Amazing grace. It radically changes our lives. And then he had put on his epitaph of his tomb. Let's throw it up here. Noah, if you got it, put it up there. That's his epitaph. John Newton, clerk. Once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Near 16 years as a curate of the parish and 28 years as a rector of St. Mary Wolnoff. He became a pastor. It's amazing grace, isn't it? And, you know, we have the privilege here at Calvary Chapel, Lexington, on a regular basis, seeing lives radically changed by the grace of God. We saw it last week. We had several people come up last week at the altar call, either to commit or recommit their lives to Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. We see it on a daily basis. The grace of God radically changed their lives. Here at our U-Turn for Christ, it's amazing. It's amazing how we see I mean, radically changed lives. I had the privilege of speaking this uh, last Friday at, uh, or it was Thursday morning probably, uh, at uh, Northside Christian Academy, the Christian high school and middle school and school here in Lexington, South Carolina. And uh, they had me be the chapel speaker, and they wanted me to talk about uh, overcoming temptation and addiction because we do this U-Turn for Christ. So I brought two of our guys, Joe Scott, my administrative pastor that was on the video, and then Seth right here, our, one of our overseers for U-Turn. I said, guys, okay, Three to five minutes before I speak on overcoming addictions, you guys just share your testimonies. Share, like the Apostle Paul in this section, share where were you at before Christ, how you met Christ, and then, then, then the difference Christ has made in your life. This is like in a middle school, high school environment and stuff, Christian school. And so I, I just sat up on the stage, on the stage, while these guys were giving their testimony, and I was looking out at these couple hundred teenagers as they listened to our U-turn testimonies of where they were at before, how they met Christ, the difference Christ made in their life. And it was, it was, it was fun for me just to look out on all these teenagers, and as the testimonies got long, I mean, they were great. I mean, they, they, they shared explicitly the filth they were involved in before Christ. And I got a little nervous. I was like, okay, guys, tone it down a little bit here. These are teenagers, right? I, I didn't say that to them, but my spirit was saying that. And then after they shared, you know, all this junk they were in before, how they met Christ, and then the difference that Christ made in their lives. It was amazing because, like Joe, my administrative pastor, said, you know, God's been so good since I met Christ. I, I, I'm not doing heroin anymore. I'm set free from that. I'm married. I got two beautiful kids. I even got in my own house. I'm a pastor at Calvary Chapel, and I'm just going, yeah. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Amazing. It, it radically changes our lives. And the, and the same, same way with, 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 
with our uh, Seth, too. I, I, and he, Seth was hearing some stuff, and I go, I didn't even know that about Seth. <laughs> wow. Let's tone it down a little bit. But it was powerful because of the way that he's been raised up now to be one of the main overseers of our U-turn. And God's radically changed his life, too, and blessed his life, too. That's the way God works. He radically changes our lives through grace. And Paul says, I am the chief, chief of all sinners. And in me, because of God's grace, I'm now an example of God's patience and God's forgiveness and God's mercy because look at me, I was killing Christians. And by the way, if you think you're beyond God's grace, if you think you've done too much dirt to be forgiven by God's grace, hey, just look at Paul. Have you killed any Christians lately? Paul did. And God's grace covered that. And God's grace can cover anything you've ever done too because the blood of Jesus has the ability to cleanse us from all, not some, all of our sin. Amen? God's grace radically saves us and changes our lives. And Paul's a great example of that. Now, look at this. After he shares about God's grace saving him and changing him and radically turning his life around, he's moved almost to explosion with worship. Look what happens. He goes, after I, I, I just recollect about my, what God's done in my life and saving me, look what he says now, verse 17. It says, now to the king eternal. The king, who's the king? It's Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, amen? So he's talking about the king eternal. That's Jesus Christ. And notice what he says about Jesus. He's eternal. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus Christ is eternal. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He was the one that was and is and is to come. Jesus Christ is eternal. That's what makes Jesus Christ more than a man. He's God because he's eternal. And then it also says he's immortal. What does that mean? Immortal means imperishable. He's, he's the one that's going to be, he, again, he was and he is and he is to come. He is mortal. And the wonderful thing is if you're a follower of Christ, he said, I'm the resurrection life. He who believes me, even though he dies, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You'll be immortal too. And at the rapture, our mortal bodies will take on immortality. Our perishable bodies will become imperishable because that's what Jesus does for us too through his grace. He makes us immortal also. And he's invisible. He's the only wise, wise God who's immortal, imperishable, but also invisible, eternal and invisible. Now that's an interesting too because a part of faith is having assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not yet what? Seen. And we walk by faith, not by sight. And a part of faith is this ability to believe in Jesus even though we don't see him. And Jesus said to Thomas, you, you, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who don't see and yet they still believe. That's what faith is. It's this ability to believe in an invisible God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not yet seen. And the only God, and now he erupts in worship, be honor and glory Forever and ever, amen. Here's the next thing that grace does in our lives. It strengthens us, yes. It radically changes our life, yes. But grace also should lead us to be worshipers passionately of our King Jesus. Jesus. Listen, if you're not a passionate worshiper of Jesus Christ, you need to experience God's grace. Because God's grace, if you've really experienced the amazing grace of God, you should be a worshiper of the King who saved you. And that's one thing I love about communion. Every time we, we partake of communion, you probably heard me say it a hundred times, after we partake of communion and we experience the, 
the juice representing the blood shed for our sins, after we take of the cracker representing the body of Jesus Christ, we should be drawn to an explosion of worship after that too. And you've heard me say it a hundred times, right? What's the best response to what we've just done with communion? Let's stand and let's worship our king. It should move us. Grace should move us to worship Jesus Christ. That's one thing I love about our men's conference. I love our men's conference. We just had a couple weeks ago. I love the fellowship we have with men from all over the South. I love, I love the food. Oh, the barbecue is awesome every, every time. I, lo- I, love, I love the teaching, too. I, just, I don't ever teach at the men's conference. I just sit back and, and soak it in. I love the teaching. I love the fellowship. I love the food. But you know what my favorite part of the men's conference is? The worship. And when you get 500-plus men for the whole weekend, gathered together. There's just an explosion of worship. 500 men that have been radically changed by the grace of God. 500 men that have testimonies about how grace has saved them and changed them. This place, I mean, it's like, I feel sometimes during the men's conference when we have five, 600 men in here for a whole weekend worshiping, uh, that we should just take the roof off because there's clear access to heaven during that time. It's, it's powerful. It's powerful. I love that. And I tell you what, Grace should cause us, again, to be passionate worshipers, worshipers of Jesus Christ, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, who, again, as it says here, gives, we should uh, be giving honor and glory forever to him. Amen. Now, Paul's going to end this section. Verse 18, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the what? Good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regards to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I was handed over to Satan, so that they'll be taught not to blaspheme. Okay, here's the last thing that Paul tells us here. And he's, he's giving an uh, exhortation, and he's giving a warning to Timothy right here. The exhortation to, to Timothy, first of all, is this. Timothy, don't give up. Keep fighting the good fight. And Paul was an example of that, right? What did Paul write in his last words in 2 Timothy? I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith, right? And because of that, there's a, in the future, there's a laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me also, but also to have loved his appearing. Paul set the example. He set the bar high for Timothy. And he said, Timothy, now, you, keep fighting the good fight. Don't give up. Keep a good conscience. Keep serving Jesus Christ. Keep finishing the course. Keep the faith. Keep fighting the good fight. But there was also not only an exhortation, there was a warning. The warning was of these guys that shipwrecked. This Hymenaeus and Alexander, he's going to mention them later in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And these are two guys that were false, went off into false teaching. They were teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. And Paul said, I had to hand these guys over to Satan. Now what does that mean? He had to exercise church discipline with them. It's similar to what he had to do in 2 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're told that someone was involved with sexual immorality to the point that uh, he was sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're handing him over to Satan. What that is, we're exercising church discipline. We're kicking him out of the church. We're going to have nothing to do with them until they repent of their immorality. And that's what happens. That's what church, you know, church is supposed to be about grace. Church is supposed to be about truth. But church is also supposed to be about holiness. And if so-called believers start getting involved in immorality, 
and they name the name of Christ, eventually we have to let them go and exercise church discipline. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So here's the last thing that grace does. The last thing that grace does, the last benefit of grace, is it helps us fight the good fight, keep a good conscience, and not get shipwrecked in our faith. Grace, do that. grace does it. And how does grace do that for us? By keeping short accounts. Here's, how, here's what we need to do so we don't get shipwrecked. When we fall off into something we shouldn't be involved with, 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sins, and he's faithful and just, and will forgive you, and then purify or cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what we need to do. By God's grace, we need to, as soon as we start falling into error, we start getting shipwrecked, we start going off course, we need to get on our knees and confess our waywardness, ask God's forgiveness, and then repent and get on with it, living for Christ. Proverbs 24, 16 says, a righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again, right? And as, as we get on our knees to the throne of grace when we're wayward, we need to remember that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to practice the belief that 1 John 1, 7 says, the blood of Jesus now has the ability to cleanse us from all sin. And I've been a Christian now for 40 plus years. I know I don't look that old. He said, yeah, you do. <laughs> I've been a Christian now for 40, I got saved when I was, when I was 17 years old, 40, over, over 40 years ago, February 1978. And I've been in the ministry now for 30, 33 years. And, and the thing that breaks my heart is when I see people that love Jesus, pastors that I love and respect and I've learned from, and they shipwreck and they've gone off the rails. And they're not, not even in the ministry anymore. Some of the guys that I loved and listened to and, and learned from so much in the last 10, 20 years now aren't even in the ministry anymore. And I was praying about that this week. I said, said God, you've been so gracious to me. You know, accept the grace of God. There go I. And I said, I was thinking about, you know, what's helped me stay on the rails? And there's only one thing. Grace. Grace. And in my beginning days of my Christianity, I had a Bible college professor named Dave Reed, Dr. Dave. And he discipled me in grace. He taught me well about grace. Discipled me in the Word of God in grace. So, so much so that, man, that, that's been my foundation from the very beginning of my Christianity. So I knew about God's grace well enough that when I would fall and I would falter and I'd get off tracks, I would run back to that strong tower of God's grace in Jesus Christ and get back on track because I knew God would forgive me. I've been discipled well in grace. And then I think about my pastor that what became my pastor, the founder of Calvary Chapel. And I listened to him teach through the entire Bible in my beginning days of the ministry, Genesis to Revelation. And the trademark of Pastor Chuck's teaching is not only the simplicity of just verse-by-verse verse teaching through the entire word, but over and over again, grace, grace, grace. I've been discipled very well in grace through God's word, through Pastor Chuck and other Calvary Chapel pastors. Grace. Grace will help you not be shipwrecked. It'll help you not go off the rails. It'll help you to keep fighting the good fight and keeping a good conscience because grace sustains us. So what do we learn about grace this morning? Grace strengthens us, right? Grace radically, drastically changes our lives. What else do we learn? We Grace causes us to be 
worshipers passionately of Jesus Christ, and grace, lastly, helps us not to be shipwrecked and keep fighting the good fight, keeping a good conscience, and pressing on to the upward call of God that God has for each one of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, God. Thank you that your grace is amazing. Thank you, God, that your grace strengthens us, your grace changes us, your grace gives us a, a heart that just wants to passionately worship you, Jesus, and grace also keeps us on track. Thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12. Thank you, God, that your grace is just amazing in regards to the way it helps us, strengthens us, and keeps us on track spiritually, Lord. And I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that needs to, once again, just get back on track. I pray for people that might be here this morning that have kind of derailed and have kind of gone off and strayed. And I pray, Lord, that they'd have a new vision of your grace this morning from your word, that your grace is sufficient to forgive them for whatever they've done or whatever they've been involved in, Lord. Father, I pray that if there's people here this morning that need to repent in an area in their lives, I pray that they'd practice what we learned this morning, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if you're here this morning and there's some things that are not, they're not right, you're involved in some things you shouldn't be involved in, I, I pray right now that you'd have just a godly sorrow that would lead to repentance and you'd say, enough, done. God, I bring this to your throne of grace right now and I ask your forgiveness and I receive your grace and I'll get back on track and living for you wholeheartedly, Lord. Lord, thank you so much that your grace is sufficient. Your grace is wonderful. It's amazing. And Lord, help us to live in that grace even this week. Help us to be people, too, of people of grace. Lord, you say in your word that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Will you say in your word that Jesus was full of grace and truth? Help us to be that way in our interactions with other people this week, Lord. Help us to be gracious to people this week, Lord, because you've been gracious to us. Lord, again, thank you for the reminders of your word this morning on grace. And we thank you again this morning for your amazing grace. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.